Thank you, Anna and team. Let's give them some encouragement for leading us this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Well, good morning, and if you're watching online, my name is Dennis, and uh, we are going to take a, a few minutes for some announcements today. Uh, you may have been wondering what's going on with this screen here, and uh, just wanted you to know that um, uh, because of the pandemic supply chain issues, uh, most of these projectors that uh, uh, are available are on a boat in Los Angeles Harbor from Japan, and we cannot get a projector. So we're working on it. We're looking at different potential solutions. So just so you know, we know it's a little bit inconvenient, but that's what's happening. So um, also, I want to just take you through what's going on the next few weeks. Next Sunday, on November 21st, uh, we are going to be looking at uh, Gifted Week 10, which will be looking at tongues and interpretation. And uh, that will be uh, my assignment next week. And also, uh, on, the on the evening of next Sunday, at 7 o'clock here in this room, we're going to worship and pray together, and it's going to be a family hymn sing. So we're going to have uh, a gifted worship leader on hymns coming, Steve Schwander. A violinist will accompany him, and we will be singing hymns, getting our hearts ready for Thanksgiving. So be here. Kids are welcome, and come and join uh, that evening. The following Sunday, the 28th, uh, which will be Thanksgiving weekend Sunday, that's going to be a sharing Sunday. So we're going to have baby dedications at 9 and 11. If you have a child you want to dedicate, you can contact Katie at Marymount Church. And also, uh, we're going to have the Connect class. If you're new and you have some questions about how MCC uh, is organized, what our theology is, uh, how to get involved, how to connect, then that class is for you. It's at 9 o'clock, and uh, you can connect with uh, Jamie if you are interested in joining that class and learning more about uh, the ins and outs of Marymount Community Church. Uh, also, I just want to give you a financial update. So through the end of October, our giving is 607000 which projects... Uh, to uh, in line with our budget, but requires strong giving in November and December because that's typically what happens. Uh, our expenses are 745000 and that includes extra giving of just over $100,000, which we did not plan in our budget, but which we decided to do uh, after the budget was approved. So that's why our expenses are uh, significantly ahead of our giving, but that is a blessing for us to have been able to give uh, into the mission work of the kingdom of God here in the city and around the world. So be encouraged by that. So just pr pray about your giving uh, as you think about November and December, and uh, strong giving will meet our budget both in terms of our income and our expenses. And if you have questions about ways to give here or year-end gifts and what the requirements are around that, you can email mark at marymontchurch.org. And last but not least, I want to let the ladies know that we have a retreat coming. It's going to be on February 4th and 5th, uh, and uh, so save the date. The speaker is going to be our very own Liz Baker, so uh, be ready for that. If you have questions, uh, you can contact Teresa and we'll have more details on the women's retreat as 
we get into the end of this year and early in next year. So let me uh, pray uh, for uh, all that's happening and also for Jamie as he brings the word this morning. Father, we thank you for uh, the privilege we have here to enjoy worship, uh, Father, peacefully, uh, freely here in this place. And Lord, we do give thanks as we celebrated Veterans Day this week. We give thanks for those who paid the price for us to have the freedoms that we have. And uh, Father, we acknowledge our veterans. We thank them. We thank their families for the sacrifices that were involved uh, in all of that. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing in this series on the Holy Spirit. And we pray, Father, that you would continue, uh, Lord, to uh, encourage us and challenge us deeper into the things that you've laid out for us in your word that are part of our inheritance in the kingdom of God. Father, we uh, thank you for the privilege of giving uh, into and sowing into your kingdom. Lord, we thank you for our partners around the world. We bless our missionary partners, Lord, around the corner here in Cincinnati and around the world. And Lord, as we prayed for the persecuted church last week, we continue to remember our brothers and sisters who are uh, living and uh, walking with Jesus in harm's way. And we pray, Lord, that you would make us aware, that you would continue to bring us to prayer for our brothers and sisters around the world. Uh, Father, we thank you uh, this morning for uh, the word of God. And uh, we bless Jamie now as he brings the word this morning that you would open our hearts, go before us by your spirit to open our hearts, to open our ears, to open our eyes to the things of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome, Jamie, guys. Hey, how we doing? Yeah, if you hear people screaming at bears, it's because my Baylor Bears beat my wife's Oklahoma Sooners yesterday. And just as I was thinking about the gift of prophecy, you know, if you happen to have thought and received revelation from God that the Bears would beat the Sooners, then that's a, you know, a function of, you know, the gift of prophecy in your life. So trying to tie that into the message. Because I would never disgrace the preaching act with some trash talk about football. Yes, I would. I would do that. I'm uh, glad to see you all. If you would turn into your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to be, um, I'm going to read the first five verses, and then we're going to be really uh, all over the Bible and, um, and talking through prophecy in practice. Prophecy in practice. Um, in many ways, this is part two of the message that was preached uh, last week. So um, I'm, I'm going to try to catch us up just slightly. I can't re-preach last Sunday's message, but I want to just catch us up. If you did not hear, uh, if you did not hear the message last week, I encourage you to just go to the YouTube channel and and listen to that uh, so you can get some foundation. Because I'm going to do a little bit of foundation work, but but today is really practical. Like how actually do we prophesy? This is being commanded of us. How actually do we do this? Does the Bible show us how? Do we, do we have some hints in the text? The answer, of course, is yes. 
So uh, we're going to look through those things, and today will be very, very practical. That's my goal uh, today. So uh, just a reminder about the series. This is our theme verse, Pursue Love and Earnestly Desire the Spiritual Gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Got some goals for this series. We're, we're laying a biblical foundation for the use of gifts here at MCC. We're seeking to empower MCC to fan into flame her gifts. We're encouraging MCC to earnestly desire more gifts, and we're looking to release MCC members to use their gifts for building up the church and advancing the gospel. We've got a couple helpful books uh, that I've, I've suggested for us to read regarding spiritual gifts. One is Jack Deere's Why I'm Still Surprised by the Power of the Spirit, uh, which is an update of his uh, original text, which is amazing. Uh, and then Understanding Spiritual Gifts a Comprehensive Guide by Sam Storms. And finally, uh, we have some opportunity for questions. Many of you have been sending questions in. We've, Dennis and I have been answering them in these messages. I just want to encourage you to continue to send in. If you've got a question about anything, uh, we've got Q&A cards in the, on the, in the lobby area on the Connect desk. You can grab one of those, fill it out, or you can email me, jamie at marymontchurch.org. Okay, Whew. outline for the message. We're going to do this in four parts. Number one, just a reminder of last week. We'll do that quickly. And then two, revelation, interpretation, application. Those are the three components to prophecy. So we're talking about prophecy and practice. These are the three components. We're just going to walk through those three, and then we will close our time together. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 to 5. I'm going to read this, and we'll pray together, and then we will go after this. This is 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 through 5. Paul writes, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, this letter to the Corinthians. We thank you for the entire canon of Scripture. We thank you that you are the kind of God who wants to reveal himself to us. And you are the kind of God that does not leave us in darkness, but has spoken most clearly in your Son, Jesus the Christ. And so, Jesus, we honor you. And we tell you that you are greater than all other loves in our life. And we confess that when you are not greater, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would make Jesus greater in our eyes and in our hearts. Make Jesus greater than any lesser love or joy in this life. So Jesus, we honor you. We yield to you. 
And I ask that you would speak. And Holy Spirit, you are the teacher, you are the counselor, you are the comforter, you are the challenger. You are the love of the Father and the Son here in this place. So we do not want to grieve or quench you, Holy Spirit. So I invite you to come and to teach us. And it's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Okay, let's do a quick reminder about last week. I just read the text. Last week we looked at the entire chapter, 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, We looked at all 40 verses Obviously, some of that Dennis is going to tackle next week. We're looking at tongues. In a couple of weeks, we'll be looking at order in worship, the back half of chapter 14. But just a quick reminder, I've put up here that one benefit of the new covenant is direct revelation from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you remember that prior to um, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and the pouring out of the Spirit, prior to the atonement and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, individuals did not have direct access to God. And that God would come on to individuals, prophets and kings and judges and priests. God would come on to individuals who were speaking as messengers for God because normal people could not hear God. They did not have direct access to God. Only prophets and kings and judges and individuals But when Christ comes and he says, I am the way to the Father, (laughs) and if you will come to me, I will bring you to the Father. Not even that, I will forgive you of all your sins. I will die on the cross in your place for your brokenness, for your sin, because it is, in fact, our sin that separates us from this great God. And so Jesus says, I will die in your place. And I will extend grace to you that you can have relationship with the Father and me and the Holy Spirit. So when we come by grace through faith, believing in Christ, that we can have relationship with the creator and and redeemer of the universe, he pours out his spirit to dwell within all who have faith in Christ. So now, the great benefit of that, one of the benefits, is God is here. And we have direct access to the revelation of God. That's why Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. In the old covenant, only one or two sheep, the leader sheep, got to hear God's voice. But in the new covenant, we are all smelly sheep and we all can hear his voice. So one of the benefits is direct revelation from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Prophecy is linked to the presence of the Holy Spirit. We see that in Acts chapter 2, verses 17 to 18. I really want to re-preach all this, but I I have to move on. But um, this is so good. Uh, Any believer can prophesy. That is is promised in Joel chapter 2. It is fulfilled at Pentecost. The Spirit is poured out on all flesh. Boys and girls will dream dreams and have visions and prophesy, he says. And all believers are commanded to pursue the gift of prophecy, and this is not a suggestion. That's 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. It's not a if you want to. It's not a if you happen to be slightly charismatic, then you should prophesy. No. It's a command. It is mandatory of believers to pursue gifts, especially prophecy. And that prophecy builds up and encourages. Now, questions from last week that we should be thinking about and asking ourselves is this. Ask yourself, 
Have I come to despise prophecy? 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 21. Paul writes to the Thessalonian church. He writes this. Do not quench the spirit. Then he qualifies that. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything. Hold fast to what is good and run away from what is evil. So follow me. Quenching the Spirit, so the image is the Holy Spirit is a fire, quenching the Spirit, putting out that fire, dousing water on the fire, saying no to the Holy Spirit is synonymous with despising prophecy. That's what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. Did you know that? <laughs> that the act of quenching the Spirit, he says, don't quench the Spirit, don't despise prophecy. And I think in word-centered churches, which is that's who we are, we are very guilty of quenching the Spirit and despising prophecy. And I've said this every, almost every week. The reason is because we have seen prophecy so poorly done and abused and unbiblical. And it's created in many of us, including myself, a sense of, if that's what prophecy is, then... <laughs> I don't want it. I don't want to be in a church that does it. No. I've been challenged by the Lord. That is, in fact, despising something that Jesus is giving to the church. And Paul describes it as quenching the Holy Spirit. So ask yourself, have I come to despise prophecy, even for good reasons? People doing all sorts of weird stuff on TV. And then we begin to despise a gift that Jesus is like, I love this gift. I want to give it to the entire church. <laughs> so have I come to despise prophecy? Two, do I earnestly desire to prophesy? Is it in am I intentional in my pursuit of experiencing and engaging in prophecy in my church? Is it something I'm passionate about? Is it something where I walk into my small group or I walk into worship on Sunday morning and I'm ready to prophesy because I'm earnestly desiring to do this? And thirdly, what will I do to obey 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1? So some questions to ask. Here's some practical suggestions. Again, I want to be practical here. To one, pray and ask for the gift of prophecy. Just ask the Father. Ask Jesus. I would like this gift. I'm earnestly desiring this gift. To read books on prophecy. To get around others who prophesy and ask questions. To ask others to lay hands on you. We see an example of that in 2 Timothy 1.6. To practice and get feedback. Come to Wednesday night prayer and worship. In fact, this Wednesday night, we're going to have teams that are not members of this church from the church of Cincinnati, congregations all over the city, are coming here to serve and to minister and to work in pairs to prophesy over our church. Come Wednesday night, if you've never experienced anyone prophesying over you, come Wednesday night, you will experience it. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. So come. Come Wednesday night. Come Wednesday night. Uh, and then another opportunity I would just suggest to you, North Star Church, one of our sister churches that we have a very warm relationship with have a prophetic prayer and communion evening on December 12th. So I invite you to come to that as well. That's Sunday night, December 12th. <clears throat> Experience some of what Paul is talking about here. 
in 1 Corinthians 14. I want to make a couple of book recommendations to you. When I first <clears throat> was challenged by this passage specifically, I have, a, I have a personality trait, which is once I realize I don't know something, I begin to read every book and every article that I can find on that thing until I know it. So here are just some books that I would recommend to you. <clears throat> if you are struggling with hearing God's voice and you're like, I do not hear God, I would suggest Mark Verkler's book, Four Keys to Hearing God's Voice. That book helped me more than any other on just the practical, uh, fra a practical framework of hearing God's voice. I will say uh, Dr. Verkler comes from uh, a Pentecostal assemblies uh, tradition, so I would be in disagreement on some things with him, uh, but it's good to read from other traditions other than our own. And his framework is very, very helpful. Um, <clears throat> a lot of you have been sending in questions. I've been emailing back and forth with you. If you're having questions theologically about Old Testament prophecy, New Testament prophecy, how are they same, how are they different, um, and sort of biblical grounding, Wayne Grudem's The Gift of Prophecy, I would recommend you read that. Very practical book, Jack Deere's The Beginner's Guide to Prophecy. It is as helpful as the title suggests. Super helpful. The Beginner's Guide to Prophecy. Uh, one of the most practical books I have ever read for engaging the church in the gift of prophecy is Steve Thompson's You May All Prophesy. And then finally, Jack Deere's book, Surprised by the Voice of God. Okay, enough of that intro stuff. What is prophecy? <laughs> Let's define this thing. Uh, I did this a little bit last week, but I just want to define here uh, a couple of definitions that have been thrown out. A human report of a divine revelation. Another definition, reporting to a person something that God brings to mind. And thirdly, listening to Jesus for someone else and sharing what is prophecy. And then how does one prophesy? How does this actually work? And I've mentioned this, there's three components. Without these three, you are not prophesying. Let me, make that, let me say that again. Without these three, you are not prophesying. It's only in the doing of these three things. One, revelation, something God brings to mind. Two, interpretation, that is, what does this thing mean that God has brought to mind? Interpreting this revelation. And then, the application, what do I do with this? And if, in fact, the application is to share with another person, then you are engaging in prophecy. Does that make sense? It, it, is, in, it is in the speaking, it is in the reporting to someone else that prophecy is happening. But prior to just talking, there is revelation and interpretation. So let me just walk through those three, and then this, that is our message, just walking through those three. And last thing I need to say just by introduction, <clears throat> revelation is coming from God, but where, where we miss it, I talked about this, that prophecy, can, we can get it wrong, and that's why Paul says to test where prophets and prophetic people and people that are trying to prophesy, where we miss it is on interpretation and application. That's when we get into trouble. That's where we find error. Where someone hears something or sees something, something God puts something in their mind, and they begin to interpret it, and they interpret it wrongly, or then they go to apply it, and they apply it wrongly, and they say something to someone that's the wrong thing. So the revelation is coming from God. Where, where it comes into error is during interpretation and application. The last two is where we, can get it, where we can get it wrong. Now, some of you right now are thinking, Jamie, if this is something like God's talking to us and we can get it wrong, that sounds like we're playing with fire. 
Sounds like, Jamie, that it'd be better. Let's just, let's be mature, Jamie, now. Don't, if we can get it wrong, if we can get it wrong and interpret it wrong, we get revelation from God and we can interpret it wrong and we can apply it wrongly, I think we should back away from that altogether. Because we don't want to play with fire. We don't want to hurt people. And that sounds right. But we don't do that with any other gift or function of the church. Like, for, for instance, what about preaching and teaching? Have you ever heard a preacher interpret the passage wrong or apply it wrongly? <laughs> Not this one, of course. But no, I have. I have. I've actually interpreted scripture wrongly and applied it wrongly. Have you, ever, have you ever seen a teacher or a preacher actually abuse a congregation by interpreting and applying the text wrongly? Have you ever heard of that? Yes. But we would never say, that's playing with fire. We should stop having preaching and teaching in case someone gets hurt. Are you all hearing me? No. You need a, you need a, a mature family that listens to a preacher and teacher and goes, I don't know. I don't know if what he's saying is right. I'm going to email him this week. I'm not sure if they applied that well. Let's talk about this in small group. I'm not sure that they applied, in, the preacher applied this correctly. Let's talk about it. And if there's an issue, this is why we have elders in the church, right? Elders are, are created in the church for the purpose of guarding the flock and guarding the truth of God. So yes, there is danger in prophecy that God brings something to mind, a revelation, and then we interpret it wrongly and we apply it wrongly. And people get hurt, people have been hurt. But that is similar to the act of preaching and teaching. We are infallible. <laughs> we interpret wrongly, we apply wrongly. Okay, so let's go. Revelation. Revelation is something that Jesus, or God, brings to mind. And this is true of God. God is a revealing God. All throughout Scripture, we see God revealing himself, both in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, that he reveals himself. There's the audible voice of God. There's burning bushes and audible speaking to individuals, namely Moses. There's the still, small voice of God. There's the internal voice of God. There's a, there's a, a knowing, and a, a knowing something is true without really knowing Y'all have experienced this. There's dreams, there's visions, there's physical sensation that God is speaking. He's regularly speaking. And so the biblical example that we're going to look at is the prophet Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah, this is Jeremiah chapter 1. Uh, if you want to turn there, you can, but Jeremiah chapter 1. First chapter, Jeremiah is commissioned and called by God as a prophet actually called by a prophet uh, by God as a prophet to the nations in verse 11 of chapter 1 Jesus Jesus Yahweh God begins to speak to Jeremiah and it's fascinating this is Jeremiah 1 verses 11 to 12 this is after Jeremiah has been called and commissioned as a prophet God begins to train Jeremiah in prophecy that's what's happening verse 11 and the word of the Lord came to me that's Jeremiah the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. 
Now, some of you are like, okay, what's that mean? Follow me. God uses a word play and a word pun to teach Jeremiah how to interpret the revelation that he's receiving. God says, what do you see? Jeremiah says, I see an almond branch. We don't know if it was in the natural, like a literal almond branch, or he just sees it as some sort of vision. And God says, that's exactly right. You're seeing that because I'm watching over my word. The noun for almond branch and the verb for watching over my word, watching, sound like the same word. We don't know that in English. We only know it in Hebrew. And there's word puns and and play on words all throughout Scripture (laughs) that we miss. But Jeremiah says, I see an almond branch. And God goes, you're right. That's right. You're seeing well. And what that means, the interpretation is, I'm watching over my word to perform it because almond branch and watching the verb, the noun and the verb look like the same word and sound like the same word. Are you hearing me right now? He's training Jeremiah to see something and to interpret what God is saying by what he sees. That makes sense? He continues on. This is verse 13. I encourage you to look at this passage. Study it this week. Jeremiah 1, now this is the next verse, 13 and 14, says, the word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, what do you see? I just love the training. No, it's like a good coach, like like Dave Aranda, the Baylor football coach, you know, just training, (laughs) just training. So great. Love you, Jess. Okay. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time, saying, what do you see? This is what Jeremiah writes. I see a boiling pot, and it is tipping towards us, Jeremiah says. Then the Lord said to me, out of the north, disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. Let me ask you something. If you were walking down the street and you saw an open vision of a boiling pot tipped towards you, what would you think? Apparently for Jeremiah, that's God talking to him. He's, he's standing, and he sees a giant boiling pot tipped towards him. So he's being trained in Revelation to understand, I'm seeing something. That's actually coming from God. And then he gets an interpretation, and of course, this is Babylon coming from the north to take out, well, Assyria to the north, and then Babylon also taking out Judah. There's an enemy army coming, and the boiling pot tipped from the north down to the south is God saying an enemy army is coming to take out the promised land and the promised people. Are y'all seeing that? (laughs) That he's seeing something, and then God is helping him to interpret what that is. And the same is true of us. Have you ever uh, been randomly doing whatever you're doing, right, and then randomly a person's name or face just pops into your head? Yeah, I haven't thought about that person in, in six months. And then lo and behold, like they call you later that day or later that week. Has anyone ever had that experience? Or like you're talking to someone and they say something, you go, I was just thinking that, that you just said. Right? We have these moments. Or how about this? This is my favorite. You've read a passage 1,578 times and then you read it another time and it feels like that the passage is going and just grabbing you. Have you had that experience? It's, like a bear. it's my favorite experience. Like John 3, 16, we're going to read this again. And I'm like, what? This is revelation from God. 
And the more spontaneous it is, I want to be careful. Oftentimes, the more spontaneous it is, I have learned to receive that as more so from the Lord. Dallas Willard calls these gracious incursions to our souls. That we're going through life and something just boop. What's that? It looks like a boiling pot that's tipped towards me or whatever. Now, some, some of you are a little bit like, sheesh, man. Here we go. Now we're just going to be doing visions. And now, we got, now I'm going to see a boiling pot. Jamie's like, I want you all to see boiling pots. Can't we just be like in the normal church? Like, why does it got to be so weird? The, the the reason we feel that way, and by the way, I, the reason I say all that is because that's what I feel. <laughs> and, and the reason we feel that is because we don't realize that, uh, that God and the authors of Scripture are not Western, post-Enlightenment, rational, logical cultures. They are, in fact, an ancient Near Eastern culture. <laughs> Second Temple Judaism. There, there is background to the text so, the original readers of these texts have no problems with dreams and visions and seeing a boiling pot tipped towards them. They don't, they don't have any hang-ups with that. The reason we do is because we value logic more than the supernatural power of God. So, I feel it, right? <laughs> Sometimes people are like, I'm seeing a blah, 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 and I'm like, oh my gosh, really? But that... It is a product of the water we are swimming in, which says, unless it's logical and instantly explainable, it must not be real. So let me, let me give you some practical suggestions that have helped me. Number one, those gracious incursions into the soul. If a thought enters your brain and you have not been thinking about it and it comes from out of nowhere and you go, where did that come from? I would stop everything I'm doing and go, hmm, Jamie said something really weird on Sunday. Maybe I should stop and like ask Jesus what this means. Stop what you're doing. Don't be so busy. If something enters your brain randomly, spontaneously, from out of nowhere, just, just, just stop and go, is it possible that that is a revelation from God? And then begin to ask some questions. Secondly, when you pray... Stop talking so much. My prayer life completely transformed when I stopped just laundry list talking at God and I began to listen. Just listen. Spend, spend, if you've got, if, if you're going to spend 30 minutes in prayer, well, if you're going to spend five minutes in prayer, spend two and a half talking and then spend two and a half listening and see what the Lord may say. Okay, that's revelation. Interpretation. Interpretation. What does this mean? So if God has brought something into my mind, the next question is, okay, what does this mean? Jesus, what does this mean that you have brought this thing into my mind? I don't know if you brought it into my mind, but I'm just going to start asking questions. What does this mean, Jesus? We, we want interpretation for what's happening. The biblical example of this and it's actually a negative example, but it's instructive, is Caiaphas. This is John chapter 11, verses 47 to 53. Again, I encourage you to study these, these examples uh, this week. Caiaphas, John 11, 47 to 53. Uh, so Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. The Jews are now wanting to kill Jesus. 
Uh, well, they've been wanting to kill him, but this really puts them over the edge. We see it in the text. The chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council, and they said, what are we to do? This man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, so the high priest, Caiaphas, is speaking now. He says, you know nothing at all, which is a great way to start a conversation with people. Y'all idiots. You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. And this is what the Holy Spirit says through John. A little parenthetical. He did not say this, Caiaphas. Caiaphas did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Are you all seeing what's happening? So Caiaphas is high priest and he prophesies. He gets the revelation right, and he gets the application right, but he misses the interpretation. Follow me. He gets revelation right. He sees Jesus as a threat to his own area, and the application is that dude needs to die. For the good of, for the good of our nation, that dude needs to die. Let's kill him. The revelation and the application were right. The interpretation was wrong, which is Jesus is a bad guy, and it's actually if we don't kill him, God's not going to get his way. Are y'all hearing me? Yeah. He misses the interpretation, but God is good. It still happens. <laughs> he gets it right, both revelation and application, but he completely misses the interpretation. Otherwise, he would have followed Jesus to the cross. Are y'all seeing? Yeah. Revelation, interpretation, application. Here's a helpful story. Uh, Jack Deere, who, by the way, is going to be here first weekend in March. I'm really excited about that. And his book, Surprised by the Voice of God, he tells a story that he was ministering in, in a crowd, and he, and he looked at a lady, and he saw the words, so this is the revelation, he saw the words, blood pressure. And he's like, ooh, he's like, ooh, this is going to be good, you know. Here we go, here we go. He goes, ma'am, uh, do you have high blood pressure? pressure? She goes, nope. Okay, uh, does anybody in your family have high blood pressure? Nope. Now it's getting awkward, right? <laughs> does anybody like sitting around you have high blood pressure? Nope. Does anybody in this room ever have had high blood pressure? Everyone's like, nope, it's silent. And he's like, what is happening to me? <laughs> after the, after the uh, event, the lady walks up to him. She goes, you know, I was thinking about what you said. My husband has low blood pressure. He goes, really? Yeah. Do you think God was telling you that so that we could pray for him and that he would be healed? Because it's getting worse. He said, yeah, let's pray for him. And I believe the man was healed. And Jack writes about this. He goes, you know what? The revelation came blood pressure. I didn't interpret it right. I should have asked Jesus, what are you saying about blood pressure with regard to this woman? Instead, he's like, this is going to be great. High blood pressure. You, do you see it? He misinterprets the revelation that he receives, and he gets it wrong. Of course, God was good, right? Interpretation is so important 
We don't just assume, oh, I just saw some, so I'm just going to now blurt stuff out. No, no. This is, Jesus is relational. You notice how many times the disciples are like, hey, can you teach us how to pray? Hey, can you show, why did you give that parable like that? What are the disciples always doing with Jesus? Asking questions. And when they start declaring stuff is when they get into trouble, right? Uh, can, we burn, can we bring the fire down on these people now? Is that, can, we do, can we do that now? <laughs> Ask questions. Ask questions. Keep the relational. Jesus is the best discipler there has ever been. And if we will ask him, he will disciple us. That's interpretation. What does this mean, Jesus? Finally, application. What do you want me to do about this, Jesus? I had this revelation. I'm asking you, what does this mean? Is this just because I was watching a weird movie and I'm just thinking about something random? Or is this from you? Can you help me interpret this? And then now, if I understand what this is that God has put into my mind, I'm now asking the question, what do I do with this information? Here's the final biblical example. This is Agabus and four daughters who prophesy and some disciples in Acts chapter 21. This is Acts 21, verses 8 to 14. A fascinating, fascinating passage. Okay, here we go. Acts 21, verse 8. On the next day, so this is Luke writing the book of Acts. He's traveling along with Paul. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying there for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, Agabus took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, this is Luke and all the disciples, when we heard this, we and the people there urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. They have a revelation of a belt and a guy's hands and feet being tied. They interpret that as Paul, if he goes to Jerusalem, is going to suffer. They apply it by saying, don't go, Paul. Do you see? The application is don't go. But they got the application wrong, didn't they? Paul says, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Paul understood. Yep, you got the revelation right. Yeah, you're even interpreting that right. When I go to Jerusalem, I will suffer. But the application is wrong. God has said, I'm going to Jerusalem. But they got the application incorrect. Y'all see that? <laughs> and Agabus, like this isn't, this dude's not just some like amateur. Agabus earlier in chapter 11 was the one who prophesied correctly a famine in the entire area. This isn't some joker. <laughs> they got the revelation and the interpretation right. They got the application wrong. Earlier in chapter 21, in verse 4, the disciples at Tyre also say, don't go to Jerusalem. So follow me. Here's Paul, and all of these people, even prophets, are saying, don't go to Jerusalem. And he goes, 
God has said, I'm going, so I'm going. Prophecies are, are not infallible. That's a New Testament example. It tells me that the hearer of prophecies are the ones who judge and weigh whether something is from the Lord or not. Just like Paul says, one or two or three prophets may speak and let the others, let the church family, test and weigh and see if what they say is true. So Paul obeyed what God said even when he was hearing from mature prophets. Are y'all hearing this this morning? (laughs) I'm trying to be like super practical. You can get the revelation right, you can get the interpretation right, and then you can apply it wrongly. So some do's and don'ts. Sometimes the application from God, if we take the time, sometimes God will say to us, I've given you a revelation, this is what it means. And then we say, am I supposed to share this? And he says, no. Just because I see something from God and I hear him interpret what that is doesn't mean I get to just talk about it. I hear a lot from the Lord. And most of it, I'm just to pray for. When I see people and God will show me things about them and his heart is for them to be free. And he says, pray. It's important. It's so important that we are following Jesus. Yeah, you may see something that's amazing. And then he says, this is what this is. You're like, wow, this is amazing. Can I share it? Do you want me to share it? No. Okay, what do you want me to do? Pray. Okay. Because I, I want to follow Jesus more than I want to look impressive. So sometimes the application is to say nothing. If the Father says, okay, go ahead and speak. Let me just, some very practicals. Don't be weird. Don't suddenly speak in King James English. Don't do like, thus saith the Lord. Like some Gandalf thing. Like, what are you doing? Why are you being weird? Don't be weird. Be normal. Don't say, thus saith the Lord. Don't talk in King's English. Just be a normal person. I mean, we're all weird. You know what I'm saying. Be normal. Don't act like what you are saying is authoritative over the person you're speaking to. Because it's not. You have no control. You have no manipulation. You cannot manipulate the situation. You share. That person gets to decide whether that's from the Lord or not. This is, why, this is why prophecy gets such a bad rap and we despise prophecy. Because prophets run around controlling and manipulating people by saying, thus saith the Lord. And it presents a situation, a dynamic, where that person goes, so if I don't obey you, I'm disobeying God? And they do that on purpose, to manipulate. That's called functioning in the gifts of the Spirit without the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. So, so if I, I enter into a space and I say, I think this is, this is how I approach I think I'm hearing from God. I think this is what it means. I'm offering it to you. You do whatever you want to do with it. I'm out. That's how I approach it. But it gets twisted in prophetic communities where it's like, this is from God. And if you don't do it, you will die. And it's like some like super weird. You have no authority in this space. The hearer has authority to weigh, judge, assess, and receive. 
Another, do ask for the compassion of Jesus for the people around you. You ever, you ever been around someone and you can tell they don't like you? And then when they say something sweet, like the language is sweet, but it feels salty? You know what I'm talking about? Or like you don't really like someone, and you're like, God bless you. But it's, it's biting. Same, same way when we're communicating. I think the Lord is saying this, and, I'm, and before I even share, I'm asking Jesus, I want your heart for this person so I don't get in the way of what you're saying. And then to re- remember, if you are the receiver of someone saying they think they're hearing from God, it's your responsibility, and you can very easily go, nope, that's not from the Lord. I'm not going to receive that. That's what Paul did. Here's a story. This is, there's a person in our church I'm not going to name her name, and this was a while ago, but she shared with me. I thought this was a good negative example, so I'm just reading what she emailed me. It said, several years ago, uh, one Sunday morning, I was serving at the church when a young man came through the door in a hurry to get to the church. We said hello. As he passed by, he stopped and came back and said this, As I looked at you, I thought of the word dunce. And this scripture popped into my mind, the Lord disciplines those he loves. I don't know if that means anything to you, but I thought I'd let you know, and then he left. She said, I was stunned. I had a family member who had just passed away. Her death was heavy on my mind, and I was just sitting there, Asking the Lord, did I do something wrong? And then I, I love the maturity of this woman. But just as quickly, I believe the Holy Spirit said, no, that wasn't correct. What he said wasn't correct. It wasn't long before I concluded that this young man was practicing a, a spiritual gift of prophecy, so I took the comments captive and I didn't let them bother me. But for someone without faith, it could be hurtful and send them down a wrong path. A path of guilt. Y'all see that negative example? At the heart of Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit, that's why Paul is saying, he takes an entire chapter, chapter 13, say, this is how you use gifts. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. Last story to illustrate this. Some of you know that um, that um, Paul, Julie, and I actually were at a sushi place in the Kenwood Mall. <clears throat> and I want to describe this story and show you what was going on in my mind so you can see revelation, interpretation, and application at play. I'm having sushi. I actually have a bento box. It's fantastic. I highly recommend the bento box at Aroma in Kenwood Mall. I'm eating with Paul and Julie. We're eating. Our waitress is amazing, super sweet. I don't remember her name. I don't, there's, you know, she was, but she was awesome. One of the times, she, I think she was refilling water or doing something like that. One of the times she came up, I'm just talking, like we're just having a conversation. She walks up, I look at her, and as I'm looking at her, into my brain pops in a family friend. I'm gonna call her name Jane. It's not her name, but that's, I'm gonna call her. Jane pops, so I'm looking at the waitress, but Jane is here. This waitress doesn't look like Jane. I thought, I was like, well, let me look at her name tag. Her name tag's not Jane. I'm like, okay. Why am I thinking about Jane? The waitress walks away. 
I'm now eating. Paul and Julie, we're still trying to have a conversation, but I'm going, okay, so Jane popped in my head randomly. Okay, God, what does that mean? So I'm, what does that mean, God? I'm asking interpretation. What does that mean? After I asked the question, what does that mean? I remember two instances about Jane, my family friend. One, a couple Christmases ago, she was having chronic back pain, and as a family, we prayed for her, and her back was healed. Two, she's a teacher. She loves kids. She has a calling for kids, and she's still in school, like she's getting her master's degree in education. Those are the two things that I know, that I think about as I think about Jane. The waitress comes back up, and so I'm, I'm thinking to myself, okay, so Jesus, are you saying that this lady somehow is experiencing or has the same features that Jane does? He was like, yeah. So the next time Jane comes up, this is where it gets super awkward. I'm like, well, Jesus, do you want me to pray about this? Or I'm hoping he says pray about it so I can continue my bento box. But <laughs> he says, no, I want you to share. In fact, before I even asked the question, he's like, no, you're sharing. I was like, okay, all right, we're gonna share. So the waitress is there. I look at her. I say, hey, this is probably weird. Uh, sometimes God talks to me. And sometimes he'll share things about people. And this is what I think, can I share this with you? And I'm being very like, I know this is weird, like you're just trying to do your job, right? She said, okay. I said, um, I believe that, the God, that God has put teaching in your heart. You're a great teacher. And I'm, I'm talking about Jane. What I know of Jane that God showed me, interpretation, is what I'm telling her. I, I think God has put, or I, I heard God say, I think that God said, I'm trying to be like real about what I'm saying. I think that God has put teaching in your heart. You're great with kids. Uh, you're studying to uh, be a teacher. Um, and he's put this in your heart. You're really, really good at it. As I'm talking, tears well up in her eyes. And she says, I'm studying to be a teacher. I've had a really, really hard day today. I said, Jesus is talking to you. She's like, I think so. And so we're like, oh, this is awesome. I said, do you happen to have chronic back pain? She's like, yeah, I got chronic back pain all the time. And it's really tough because I'm a waitress. I mean, I'm standing up. I said, I think Jesus wants to heal you. Will you take your left hand and put it on your back? She put her hand on her back. We prayed for her. She was healed. I said, Jesus is talking to you. She goes, yeah, I think he is. And then we tipped her awesome. <laughs> but do you see revelation, interpretation, application at play? Do you see that? I'm seeing something randomly. I, there's no reason why I would think about Jane. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, I guess God is talking to me right now. So I'm going to begin a conversation with him while I'm talking with Paul and Julie and begin a conversation together about interpretation. So I'm trying to be as helpful and as practical as possible. This is how we're going to end the service. I want to share with you a video and then we're going to be dismissed. Because I, I, I think the Father's heart is, is just to, to, to open all of our eyes to the possibility that you could be at a sushi restaurant and God is talking to you in the exact same way. Nothing special about Jamie. I was just eating a bento box at Aroma at Kimwood Mall. And Jesus wants to do the same kinds of things in your life. So I, I believe the Father is trying to awaken sort of like a sense of wonder and would you use me? The answer from Jesus is yes.
I want to use you. So let's watch this video. Sorry for the folks over here. It's going to be on this screen. But let's watch this video together, and then I'm going to dismiss us. Let's watch prayerfully. Will you stand with me? Let's pray. Jesus, we tell you that you are good. And you are better than we can imagine. And we rejoice in the story of our brother Ken, our brother Jonathan, David. And I ask Jesus that you will come and you will bring a spirit of prophecy over MCC. I ask that you will come, Jesus, and that the fruit of your spirit, that love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control would flood this place. And at the same time, I ask that a spirit of revelation and wisdom and knowledge and prophecy would equally flood this place. I bless my brothers and sisters. I ask for an increase in revelation. I ask that their eyes would see you clearer than they have ever seen you, Jesus. I ask that the ears of their heart would hear you more clearly than they have ever heard you. I bless them with gifts of interpretation and application. I ask, Holy Spirit, to come and manifest this gift here at MCC that we would be a, a mature, prophetic people. So we ask for more, Jesus. We ask for more. And I ask that your spirit would also rain down on our children's ministry and youth ministry, that our children and our students would hear you even more clearly than parents and grandparents. I bless the children of this church like the little boy Samuel, that they would hear you speak. I bless the students of this church with powerful prophetic gifts here in this place. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that one day prophecy will cease and we will see you face to face, Jesus. And we look forward to that day where we will dance and sing and honor you with whole hearts. And no one will need to prophesy, for we will see you face to face, the perfect one. So Jesus, come. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And we receive all that you want to give us as a church family here. Holy Spirit, come. Jesus, come. Abba, Father, come. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Church family, you are loved. Be at peace. You are dismissed. Be at peace.